Welcome to Unfighting in Thailand, the best news and analysis covering the economics and infrastructure of Muay Thai. I'm Matt Lucas, journalist, commentator, and ex-Muay Thai fighter. Make stronger fighters, make stronger people. Today we will be talking to Andrew Allen of InfightSal as part of our series on sponsorship. This is part three in the four-part series. In the last episode, we talked to Tim Fisher from Revolution Gym in Phuket. He's developed a really strong fight team down there with fighters like uh, Magnus Anderson, Chad Collins, uh, Tagir, Walter Gonzalez. That episode is available for the Patreon subscribers. So if you're at all interested in learning about how to be a sponsored fighter, how to develop a fight team, that interview is definitely for you. And a little news, I launched my Patreon. Uh, Members will get free access to all the content that I create. I will be releasing only half of my content publicly. The other half will be for Patreon members only. For instance, the interview with Tim Fisher. Additionally, in the second half, I'll try to include more news and analysis into the show. Each month is going to cover a theme, so this month is sponsorship. Um, The members-only show will have a recap and analysis of the theme. Base subscription rate right now is just $20.00. Thinking about playing with the numbers, it might go up, so definitely a good time to subscribe. And you'll have access to all my back content as well. If you're interested in subscribing, go to patreon.com, P-A-R-P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com on Fighting in Thailand. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can follow me on Instagram, MattLucasBKK, or email me at a period Matt lucas at gmail.com. Thanks to all the people that have supported me so far, sharing the podcast, leaving reviews, and of course, subscribing to the Patreon. Uh, thanks to Jeff Dohelio for making the beats for the show. Jeff is about to come out here to Thailand to produce his IFMA documentary. I'm very excited to see him. Also, thanks to Patrick Riviera, who has helped get this show started. Patrick is also coming out here as part of the USMF IFMA team. So I'm very excited to see the team perform out here in Bangkok this year. So a little background on Infight Style. The company was founded in 2013. At first it was a reseller of gear and equipment, especially Top King, which at the time, it was very difficult to get equipment overseas. One day, Alan started making his own shorts using new material, put the logo on it, and things really started to take off. Uh, Infight Sal is one of the major brands in North America right now. They've done a great job expanding with a lot of custom designs and really unique works. They've worked with a litany of fighters, uh, Sam Bark, Yotin FA Group, Sexon, Orquan Muang, um, Nathan Ward. They also sponsor some very, very high-level fighters, including Janet Todd, who is due to fight Kai Ting Chuang uh, this week, actually. 
They also sponsor top-level American fighter Ongin Topic, who's again fighting on one championship along with Janet Todd. Without further ado, the interview with Andrew Allen. Hey, Andrew, thanks for coming on the show today. I really appreciate you coming on. How are you doing? Good, thanks. It's, it's a privilege for you to have me. I don't usually do these type of things, so you're lucky. Consider yourself blessed. <laughs> I, I consider myself blessed that you're my friend. <laughs> good answer, good answer. So let's just get right into it. When did you first realize that InfightStyle was a brand and something that would actually go somewhere? Uh, I don't have a specific time, but I guess... When I realized it was a brand was kind of when the community was like the Muay Thai community was uh, identifying with the products and people were just excited about stuff I would post on Instagram or stuff we release. People would be excited about it. And I was surprised that that was the feedback that we were getting. So I kind of realized that at that point I could take the there was some kind of brand power or brand awareness internationally. So what sort of actions did the customers or the people in the community take? Just, you know, when they see your product, they get really excited and then they remember your brand name. At that point, you know, it was really early on and there wasn't a lot of other brands uh, like like North American Thai brands or whatever. Uh, it was the first, I guess. So I guess people, I was just surprised how people would follow the brand and stuff like that and just excited about the product releases, things like that. I got into this not intending it to be a brand, but it kind of just went there and then we found success with that, so... I guess that's how it always goes with these things. Sort of like how I mentioned Quicksilver earlier. Why do you feel it is successful as a brand? It's a hard question to answer because obviously I have a different view of the brand than everybody else. So I think it's like this horrible nightmare, <laughs> you know, that's that's causing me not to sleep and whatever. But I guess at that point there was nothing. It was kind of all traditional old old tie products, shorts, gear, and stuff. So I guess I guess we were we kind of had like an updated outlook on tie shorts is which what we started with. Like, you know, we didn't have a lot of tech, we didn't have a lot of text all over the shorts and it was just pretty kind of plain, but with unique yeah. materials and like uh, prints and stuff, stuff like that. So I guess it was just, it was something that the community, that the industry was missing, I guess. Definitely one of the shorts I've noticed has been really popular lately is your floral flower designs. I have a pair and anytime I wear them, people just getting love them. Basically want to steal them off me. And it's a unique design, which I think is really appreciated by people. Yeah, so that's kind of what I meant when you said what do people identify with from like what do people like from the brand? So I think we made that short in 2013, late 2013, and then I just did a small run for fun. It really t- it got great feedback and it really took off. So that was became one of our top selling shorts. And anything with a floral, floral print on it, right? And initially, I didn't want to like overload the market with all these floral prints that kind of weren't really relevant to any anything Muay Thai. But then you see Raja's success in the last two years with just spamming, spamming the industry, spamming the market with like low end floral prints, and how kind of how well that did. So, so something you've done uh, with your brand and the company is positioning the shorts and your apparel with fighters. Why did you choose to do that? And when do you think you started doing that? 
when do we use fighters to market the product and stuff like that? I mean, sports brand. So that's, I mean, I, I figured that would be common sense, but I guess early on, like I said before, the industry really took off and there wasn't a lot of money in it. It was easier to work with like bigger names. So it was more within reach, you know, but now those guys, those same fighters are getting paid like a thousand USD, a thousand euros a month and stuff like that. So at that time, it just seemed like a organic uh, way to market the product. Plus, I don't want to say the same cliche that all like people say, like made by fighters, for fighters, blah, blah, blah. But I kind of was in the community. So I felt that would be a good way to market the products. Mm-hmm. What has your relationship been like with fighters and sort of sponsorship in the past? And like, is that something you are interested in? I know you have sponsored fighters or, you know, sponsored athletes. What is that relationship like for you? Like what is a normal arrangement for a sponsored athlete? And then how do you feel about the arrangement and what are some of the pros and cons of it? There's different tiers, of course, right? So it's more just about how loyal the fighters are. Like, if we're not paying a fighter, uh, which is very rare as well, it's usually reserved for like the top pros, you know, the t- top ranked top pros sort of thing. Pros for sure. But, um, and then the, another tier would be just equipment and mutual promotion of each other. And that's probably the most beneficial for both us and the fighters because we're both trying to build our names in the industry. And that way kind of leads leads to an or, more of an organic like motivation to promote each other and whatever mutual support. What is an example of a mutually beneficial action between both you and the athlete? At which stage? Like at the lower level or the higher level? Yeah, at the lower level. Let's say lower level, and then we'll move to the higher. Uh, so. Just, you know, I supply them with whatever the equipment they need and then they organically promote the gear, you know, not like, oh, in fight style, in fight style, go by in fight style on their social media or something, but just wearing it when they're training and yeah, that's about it. It's kind of like the individual you choose, but how well it works, how well it works. So, you know, if you, if you choose somebody, following is not the word, but if you choose somebody who isn't. Uh, I guess you want to use the term that everybody uses now, an influencer, then it probably wouldn't have the best results. But mm-hmm. uh, if you don't choose somebody who's like, okay, sometimes people don't even know they're influencers in their, in their, in their like, uh, community. So if, the, typically people who like, are charismatic and have a good persona are good at promoting themselves or whatever they choose to associate with. Whereas like somebody who's not really an influencer whether they know it or not, may not be good at those things. So there's some athletes we work with mm-hmm. who kind of don't really – I mean, they promote us organically when they train, but other than that, there isn't much we get out of it. But usually those people are better fighters or higher-end fighters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't expect somebody to like spend all this time doing that. I think that's a miscommunication too. I just, I just want them to train in the gear, and that's it. Like, you know, any little promotion they can do is fine, but – some people just, that's not mm-hmm. their thing, you know, and their, and their benefit to us is their success fighting. So I prefer that they um, reach goals and then we're just kind of along for the ride. Whereas 
where instead of just promoting them mm-hmm. direct, promoting us directly. And, and you got some athletes who are good at everything, who are like in shape, who are always training, who are really good at promotion. Maybe they didn't know it beforehand and who are fighting at a high level and trying to, and they're well speaks for themselves. So those are like the golden gooses, you know, there is quite a, quite a lot of them, but, uh, you have the best of all both worlds. Yeah, I can definitely think of one person who comes to mind, or a couple at least that are with you. Onion topic, of course, being one. He's very active on yeah. social media. He's been with you guys for a long time. Since the beginning, almost. Yeah, he's really he's a, he's one of the greatest guy like guys that have on the team. He's a good supporter, and he kind of takes it. You know, he takes it on a personal note to help the company find success you know because he's invested not financially but just you know time and we have a good relationship so Mm -hmm. what what do you think makes someone maybe an influencer in their community whether they know it or not like i said if they're really i think one of the main things is if they're if they are really well if they have if they have a lot of charisma you know of course that's a big thing some people don't know if they do or not you know, if they're always in the gym training, it's inspiring to other other athletes and fighters. Even if, again, you know, if there's a guy, if, if one of the better fighters at your gym is always there when you get to the gym and always training hard, you know, and never really <clears throat> slacking in the gym, it's inspiring mm-hmm. for the other members or other other fighters, right? So that's somebody can influence others like that as well, right? It's not just uh, – or anything, you know, if they're really – if they're positive and, you know, if they find success as well, so – do you feel at least that your relationship with fighters and just going through the sponsorship relationship has changed over time? Of course, of course, things have changed. Like I learned a lot more. The influencer, the online social, like the in, the social media influencer thing, kind of wasn't grew to its prominence at, at, at the same timeline that, that are branded. So uh, before, I guess initially, you kind of didn't know what was going on because the whole influencer thing wasn't didn't exist until recently maybe the last three years, you know, I think Instagram really took control of that. So it was kind of learning, uh, learning, uh, as we went, but I think I'm just more organized and I know more what to ask for from sponsored fighters. And I also have a better eye to choose, uh, the sponsored fighters, you know, cause you kind of see which fighters identify with, uh, which part of the market and what, how they can benefit your brand, et cetera. What are you looking for in a sponsored fighter? I know you said before that loyalty was very important. Yeah, it's important, but I mean, it's a two-way street, right? So you got to take care of the fighters just as well as they take care of you. But uh, what am I looking for in sponsored fighters? Mostly some kind of, I mean, obviously you want the top Mm -hmm. fighters, you know, the best fighters you can get, ones who are competing to be the best in their weight class internationally, right? Internet, like... People who can fight on an international scale in Muay Thai are much better for to, to be considered as influencers because they have larger reach, obviously, right? And usually, if they're international level fighters, then they're trying. They're they have big goals, you know. So they want to be the best in the world, not the best in the USA or the best in uh, Europe or something like that. Do you get a lot of requests and people hitting you up to be sponsored? And what is that situation like? Yeah, I'm sure anybody with like a Muay Thai brand that has social media gets like hundreds of inundated with these requests. So some of them, you know, are really professional with, uh, you know, all like a total profile with all their fight details. And some are, I've gotten some that are like, I need, Hey mate, can I get a sponsorship? Uh, 
you don't want to use the, the gloves at the gym anymore, stuff like that. So, or people getting angry when you tell, when you politely tell them that, you know, when they don't fit your criteria and you politely tell them that it's not going to work and they kind of get angry about it. Before, when we first started, when we very first started sponsoring people, it was maybe 2013, 2014. And we would, I think we started with some Americans and we were getting like calls from Canadians complaining that why aren't we sponsoring their kids or whatever because we're a Canadian company. What is an example of a professional uh, sponsorship proposal from an athlete? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, kind of the, their background, their story, uh, all their martial arts experience, all their fight records, mm-hmm. their like aspirations and goals, stuff like that. And that's basically it. Do you look through their social media itself as well? Yeah, of course. But, you know, like we scout a lot of people via social media, right? So, and you can kind of see them grow, grow as well. And then you kind of reach out to them once you figure they're at a point where it would make sense for your brand to pick them up. So a lot of times you're, you're also scouting for potential sponsored athletes. You know, when you're say working at the TBAs, which is, I know is a huge um, deal for you every year, correct? Yeah, I don't know if we scout so much. Like, we're not walking around trying to figure out who's the next big thing. But, you know, if there's somebody who's getting a lot of attention or, like I said, seems really charismatic mm-hmm. or has, like, a strong persona, you know, then obviously people pay – that catches your eye. And if, if they have the skills as well, then that's a winning combo. Yeah. Um, so you talked a bit about um, how influencer marketing grew as inf- at the same time as Infight Style. And so I was just wondering what specifically social media has done for you and your brand. I mean, it gave it a huge reach to, to everywhere in the world, and which, which means more eyes on the brand, which means it can grow faster, et cetera, et cetera. And that's the most positive aspect of it. And then, uh... Cool. Uh, how do you feel that social media has changed the landscape of the sport? It, it has a lot, of course, right? Um, it's too bad that Muay Thai wasn't so established or as pop- so popular before the whole social media influencer craze became a thing because you couldn't really tell the difference. But it definitely kind of created, like everybody says, you know, these online fighters who don't, you know, are basically influencers but not really fighters who fight to be influencers. You know, I know a lot of people have spoken about that before in the past. But, you know, all the fancy pad work, but then they can't win a fight. Or, or lose to like lower level people, you know, people they shouldn't be losing to. Sorry, what I meant was their videos would lead you to believe they wouldn't lose to uh, lower level people, but in reality, they they are low level, lower level fighters. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. You just got to know your know your place, you know, and not overstep your boundaries. There's definitely a place for that. You need those people, but you know, you can't claim you're the best fighter or like you know trying to chase trying to chase the number one spot if you have like if you're posting more than fighting or training you know sort of thing or sorry if your life revolves around if your life revolves more around your social media than actually being successful and fighting a lot you know uh so you you feel in that way that these social media fighters are more or less here to stay or you think it's just a phase in the sport no, they're probably here to stay. I mean, they have their place. It's not all negative. It's, do you know what I mean? It's, uh, 
positive positive as well it you know puts more eyes on the sport which everybody wants and it's good for it's still good for brands and stuff like that you know we get like uh people trying to contact us be sponsored who never fought before who are kind of you know they have like 30 40,000 followers online and i don't think that's the best thing for us at this point and we're not re- we're not really interested in that if they're not a fighter but they have their role of course right yeah yeah i mean there's something to be said about those sort of people just in terms of reach or you know sometimes people aren't necessarily the best fighters but can be very good in other ways you know ambassadors for the sport of sorts yeah of course so that's what i mean so those they're still really valuable i mean there's some there's some ones that aren't good examples and there's some ones that are good examples right so it definitely they definitely have their place and it's a positive. I definitely feel like the people that are not as good at fighting should try and adjust their careers and sort of options and start looking at other directions. Like you could be a really popular referee or something like that, you know, and still, you know, have a big influence on the community. Yeah. Or you could be a really popular trainer, you know, couldn't. Who, who fights occasionally, but that's not their bread and butter. So maybe you're a trainer and, you know, you have a lot of charisma, so you can, you know, influence and inspire all your clients, customers, or whoever that, and that via that method as opposed to being like the best fighter. Mm-hmm. So you've done some really great uh, photo shoots in the past. Um, what is that? What is your photo shoot process like? Uh, basically, choose the products. That we're going to shoot, separate the outfits, like, and then sort of start looking for uh, which fighters you want to use, what the angle you want to take for the shoot and the, the collection, etc. Kind of choose who's best for it. Pick the location, kind of pick the poses, or just what kind. Like I said, what kind of uh, what kind of angle you're going to take with the shoot, and then choose the photographer, and then get it done. What are some of the angle sort of um, problems or like what are you specifically thinking about when you're trying to come up with an angle? Angle isn't the best word. Like a theme is better. So, you know, some themes, you know, we do like on the street where it's more like streetwear style, graffiti and stuff. You see a lot of people doing that. So I don't really try to step away from that. Uh, we started doing that a lot a couple of years ago. We did a shoot at uh, – like a mental asylum or something in New York with uh, a couple of New York guys. Uh, Dave Wymoy was one of them from King's Thai Boxing. And then we did a couple more like that over the years. And then, we, you know, obviously those more streetwear style and the organic like gym photo shoots are my personal favorite, but uh, always trying to experiment with new stuff. I don't like beat shots or anything like that, but yeah, kind of gritty, gritty themes are the ones I prefer probably because it resonates better with the community and like fighting supposed to be like kind of like a gritty sport. So kind of goes hand in hand. That's why the streetwear thing kind of works out too. Cause like that street hustling style, you know, graffiti and all that works well. So you've done uh, shoots in both the States and in Thailand. How would you compare working in the two countries and environments? Uh, I mean, it kind of just depends on the photographer you get. So we were lucky that we worked with a lot of photographers who kind of understood the angle we wanted, the themes we wanted to explore. If the photographer understands you, 
is on the same page with you, it's really easy for them to kind of just take it and go with them. Because the last I noticed from experience that if you have an idea and you try to micromanage a photographer, usually it end up being worse. You know, the results won't be what you want. We did a really good shoot. Actually, I forgot about this one with Victor Alvarez from like uh, from Boxing Works. That was in 2015, maybe with Janet, Selena, and Jackie. That was a great shoot. Turned out really well. So he, so he always kind of was on the same page as me, and he knew he knew what I liked. After you work with a photographer for you know a couple of shoots, you kind of understand each other a little more. So same with Tar. Tar kind of understands what I like now as well. So it's really easy to shoot with these kind of people when you build a relationship. Uh, for those that are unfamiliar, Tar is uh, one of the leading action photographers out here in Thailand. He works uh, not only for Infight Style, but also Max Muay Thai. Uh, so he's been doing some work with Infight Style recently. He did like the shoot with Nathan Ward. He did one with Yotin and um, Sam Bark. He's done quite quite a few now, right? Yeah, we have a couple coming up to this year waiting for the final products but yeah he's been great so happy to work with him he's kind of more of our exclusive photographer now we're going to be working with him uh more so than anyone else going forward yeah that's good uh you guys can really develop together as well hopefully yeah we're like-minded too so like i said it takes we just have like a little powwow before the photo shoot or leading up to the photo shoot and then you know it's kind of like let me take care of this don't worry about it and then i get the I get the finished pictures and I'm usually really happy with them. So that's good. Um, one of the other interesting things you've done lately is open the shop in Bangkok. That's sort of different for a foreign company to come in, especially with a Muay Thai equipment company. The shop is located um, by Chadu Chak Park and Mochit right next to the FA group gym. The gym has a new, sort of a fitness center as well as the old school Muay Thai center. What's it, what was that process like? What is it like having a shop in Thailand, especially a brick and mortar shop? Worked out pretty well. It's pretty ideal to have that in Thailand, especially because it's harder for a shop like that to exist overseas in North America. For one thing, there's less, there's less active people training Muay Thai, etc. And there's so many foreigners going through Bangkok and Thailand in general who the reason that most people visit, well, not most, but the re- a big reason that many people visit Thailand now is just to do Muay Thai, right? So it's ideal to have a shop, right, in the home, in the home base for Muay Thai internationally, especially mm-hmm. in Bangkok, where kind of everybody has to go through, even to go to to north or south. So it worked out well. And, and setting up the shop was was ideal because I was lucky that you know where I'm at. The G up from FA Group is very organized and professional so it made things a lot go a lot smoother you know and a lot of those other issues that you'd hear in the past about setting up businesses overseas etc and with ties was kind of negated by working with her because she has international experience as well so it worked out really well uh again for those not familiar jip is one of is the manager basically of fa group and does it has done a lot for the gym in the last couple of years and you've been affiliated with FA Group for quite some time, correct? Yeah, even before you were part of FA Group. So maybe, again, 2013, late 2013, late 2013, early 2014. I started there around 2016 or so. I can't, 2015, 16. Yeah, so I think we were about a year before you came on board. Take. So what is it like sort of having a sponsored gym and 
you know, being affiliated with a gym out here in Thailand? I mean, it's great for the brand. Obviously, it makes things mm-hmm. really authentic. That's why, you know, a lot of these other brands and brands are trying to chase opening a gym or sponsoring a gym in Thailand, you know, like Bad Boy, for example. I, do they still have their Bangkok gym? Uh, I don't know. I I haven't even heard of Bad Boy in a long time, to be honest. Yeah, that's just a good example of like these brands trying to open up training centers or shops in Bangkok to seem legitimate or authentic, I should say. I mean, obviously, it's contributed to our success mm-hmm. a lot and lots of good experiences from there. Not, I don't really have anything bad to say or not many bad experiences from FA Group. Yeah, that's great. That's always good to hear. Um, so I guess just some general questions. Because you've been in the sport so long, especially in, from a different angle, you know, you're not a fighter, you're not a coach, you're sort of involved in the equipment and manufacturing side. How has the sport changed over the years? That's a pretty broad question. Can you, can you dial that in a little more? It's changed a lot, right? What is something that has changed with the manufacturing aspect of the sport? You know, lots more materials, lots more. They've had to step up, like all the manufacturers from shorts to equipment, have all had to like step up their game a lot because of the wants of foreigners, you know, for higher quality equipment or more specific detail, you know. When we first started, there was no, it was impossible to order overseas, like custom shorts, example. It was, it was really hard to order Thai stuff overseas. That's one of the reasons, that's one of the things that contributed to our success was, was being one of the first companies that had like a line to order from Thailand directly while not being in Thailand, right? But now there's so many, there's like, you know, before there was like three or four short shops that were worth working with. And now there's like, you know, tons anybody can order off facebook or instagram i mean it's not the best you know it's it's almost like a pakistan version of thai factories so it's not like the best quality or whatever but you know they exist now so anybody with three or 300 bucks 400 bucks in their pocket can start like a muay thai brand in quotes you know and make an instagram account and then all of a sudden they have muay thai brand and etc so that's one of the big differences i changed and any and another uh, another change i noticed was they were the Thai factories were forced to step up their game as far as as far as uh, production goes, you know. With so they had to learn how to do more complicated things, different use different materials, especially to compete with like overseas manufacturing like China and Pakistan because their prices are notoriously much lower than Thailand, and their quality is is also notoriously much lower. But you can find good factories in both Pakistan and China, so. Yeah, Thailand had to uh, adapt to the pricing, et cetera, to stay competitive, stuff like that. China and Pakistan are getting much better at matching the quality and everything of Thai-made products, but it's like a romance, you know, to make Thai gear in Thailand. So it's like a romantic thing that everybody is kind of, that's the right, that's the way it should be. Like, that's the way that, like, what other way would it be, you know? I mean, other companies had success using Pakistan, et cetera, and China to make Muay Thai shorts. But in general, it's romanticized, right? So, do, so do, I think it'll stay in Thailand for the most part. But if China and Pakistan were able to make a product of equal or greater quality, then I don't see why you know some of these companies would stay in Thailand. I mean, obviously, you're gonna have twins, Top King, and these companies and, and Fairtex are never gonna leave. But some other smaller brands, right, would maybe go overseas. I'm not gonna mention which brands. There are some good brands. 
Muay Thai brands that make their shorts in China and they're actually really, really good. The brands are popular and I don't think anybody cares that the gear isn't made in Thailand. So that's like one of our niches. So we, we aren't going to change that. But for other, brands, for other brands, it can definitely work, right? Do you see manufacturing leaving Thailand and going to other countries permanently? Like the factories in Thailand shutting shop at some point and moving to China? Yeah, for sure. Like the shorts and the gear, 100%. I mean, some other stuff like apparel, we outsource to different countries. But because uh, to some extent, unless you're on a, producing stuff on a big scale, Thailand is quite limited to make mm-hmm. some products like technical products and stuff like that or more, you know, sporting goods like uh, running shorts, stuff like this. China is better at some stuff like that. But uh, yeah, other than those products, we're, we're going to keep our production in Thailand. Uh, I asked the question before, but you thought it was a little broad. Uh, but I still want to know, where do you see the sport growing and how has it changed over time, do you feel? When I first went to Thailand, it was much more about the training and stuff like that. And, of course, now it's a business. We've talked about this multiple times, you know, the tourist thing. It's like, you know, those destination uh, vacations that you'll see. Like I saw one recently on a webpage. It was like, you know, go to Thailand and train Muay Thai. And I might as well have said, go to Thailand, <laughs> train Muay Thai and beat an experienced Thai in brackets. But no, I didn't say that. But then, you know, it'll have like go to Greece or go to France or go to, you know, and do different activities in each country. So now Muay Thai is kind of like the business side of it is much bigger uh, than, than previously. Mm-hmm. I mean, so that's a good thing, obviously. I'm not, I'm not going to be like, pretend that, I'm not going to be like one of those people who is like, it's, it's ruining the sport and the purity of the sport and all this stuff. No, it's good. It's good for all aspects of the sport, but that's one of the major changes that the uh, tourist factor, you know, and in every sense. So some gyms are still pretty raw where you'll go to like Chuatna or something, you'll go there and they're not trying to sell you gym t-shirts or like branded gloves or hand wraps. They don't even have any of that stuff. I don't even think they have water there to buy you just go there and you train with like, you know, some really tough fighters and kill yourself every day and that's it. Whereas some gyms you go to and there's like, you know, it's and that's not like a fancy gym. You've been there. It's like tucked through alleyways. There's no sign. So like those are the gyms I prefer to train at. But there's definitely so many gyms now. You know, there's fitness oriented gyms which are have which are really uh, popular now in Thailand. Like uh, I mean Crudom is one of them, I guess. There's better examples. Legend, I think, like boxing. Kong Sita is a good example. There's um, MTM Academy. Ploy's branch is actually oriented towards the fighters, but the other side of the company is fitness. They have two locations, uh, one by Palm 4 and then um, another one at the street in Hua Kuang. They There's also like those RCM gyms or Jaren Tong has like a line of fitness gyms that are Muay Thai? They were one of the first ones that were around, like maybe, they were one of the first ones that I remember seeing, Geelong Tong or whatever. Yeah, so that's another major change, but it's all kind of with the growth of the sport and then not everybody wants to fight. Where I guess before in Thailand, you know, when Thais would see, go to a Muay Thai gym or hear about a Muay Thai gym, they'd think it was like exclusively your fighters. Like, don't get me wrong, before, when I first came in 2009, I would see, I would see uh, Thais coming to train, like fitness, you know, after class, they go to private sessions or whatever. But there was no gyms oriented fitness aspect of Muay Thai. 
you know, it was really just, they just lived in the neighborhood and they would always to the gym. So they come and do some fitness stuff after hours. But now there's whole gyms that have classes similar to North American gyms, you know, where it's like a nine o'clock class, 12 o'clock class, et cetera. So that's, yeah, that's another major change. But uh, just the growth of the sport, even in Thailand, but to a kind of a different aspect, like I said, to accommodate foreigners more. That's de- that's got to be the biggest change that's influenced everything, you know, because before they had their overseas pricing, for example, they had overseas pricing and they had like domestic pricing. So you get a cheaper price in Thailand if you bought and if you ordered from overseas, you get a higher price. So now they caught on to that obviously maybe four years ago and they raised other prices to mimic the overseas price, like the North American pricing because obviously, you know, there should be only one universal price for wholesale or retail products, right? Or, you know, a universal price within reason, you know, five or ten dollars very very in here and there is fine. But yeah, so those are, that's another change I noticed, at least from the business aspect. Definitely something we talk a lot about between the two of us is like the growing sports tourism aspect of Muay Thai. Um, you know, obviously you mentioned it before, people go going on prepackaged tours. Definitely one of the ways that a lot of gyms make money now is hosting sort of a guest fighter or someone that is sort of an influencer of some sort and they bring in a bunch of people or having camps of some sort um, to draw in more customers. You're referring to Kong Sita specifically. No, that's, that's, that's what that sounds like. Kong Sita does that. Kong Sita. And then other other gyms like um, Sitsong Pinong uh, Bangkok has had like referee and – or not referee, but sort of coaches clinics there. Maybe quarterly. They don't really advertise that well. Uh, Phuket Top Team has like a pad holders course down there. So obviously, you know, they have just a lot of foot traffic as a foreign gym. Of course, Master Tatius has, you know, whatever snake oil he's selling for the week. So, But definitely, like, I, I definitely see more foreigners coming out here as, like, sort of a package. You know, even if they're not coming out necessarily, like, they're not necessarily going to Kong Sita for, like, this camp. They're coming out for, like, this tourist experience. Yeah, I feel like, oh, I, I, I went to Thailand and I fought Muay Thai and I won. It's like, check that off my bucket list, you know? Then I got a Sakyan, you know? Yeah, but, hey, I have some Sakyan. I regret it. At least I went, to, I, went to a super I went to a super traditional place and they're not like real clean tattoos. So at least I have, I have that. You're okay with your tattoos because they gave you a blood disease, basically. But... Yeah, I mean, I don't see anything wrong with this sports tourism aspect, especially with people. But, like, you know, like you were saying before, people need to be uh, upfront about what is going on. Keep it in context. Because, yeah, like, I don't have a, I don't think, I don't think it's uh, wrong or is there anything wrong with, with the ties side of doing it. But when you beat, like, a fat guy, by a mysterious like jab knockout in the first or fourth round at one of these infamous stadiums, I don't know if that's something to like celebrate about too much, you know. But I, I don't, it's not like you shouldn't be putting people down about that. But like, yeah, you got to take it in context, right? Like, if you if your trainers are like, "Good job, you beat somebody a tie who has two hundred fights and it's your like first ten fights," probably that wasn't so legit. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, when I always sort of rank people by how much they're getting paid and where they're fighting, I think that's a little bit better of a contextual clue. You know, if you're making less than 5,000 baht, you know, they're probably going to be a soft opponent. Give or take, though, right? Like, one of the, one of the infamous, infamous stadiums is what was it, Taipei in Chiang Mai? The one in the bar? What, what's that one called? Like, that's a, I've seen some legit fights there. I've seen a, a, quite a bit of legit fights, you know, even with outer shape Thai guys, but like fighting pretty high level overseas fighters. But like, and then I've also seen the infamous multiple first round jab, fourth round jab knockouts, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think like money is a, always a great indicator, but sometimes it can give you a little bit of a clue, especially if you, you know, you haven't been around there or you don't know who these people are. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, like I said, it's, you know, it's not like you have a choice. It's not like you're like, okay, I want a fake fight or something like that, you know, but you get them. Yeah. And if you're experienced, you probably understand that something was fishy about the fight. That's all. Yeah. I mean, I don't mind a fake fighter to, you know, just to pad my record along with pad my stomach, pad my ego. You know, like I can definitely understand it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, and like I said, it's nothing wrong. The ties aren't doing anything wrong. They're just capitalizing on like the market. They're adapt. They're growing with the business, with the industry, right? But don't over celebrate. That's the point of this conversation. So now we'll go into the next section of the show, pick a fight, uh, in which me and my guests discuss an upcoming vet bout. We sort of analyze it, make our picks, and then hopefully. Uh, in the next show, we can go over it. Last time I did the show, I picked uh, Janet Todd versus Kai Ching, uh, which is happening on one championship soon. Uh, one championship, for anyone that doesn't know, is having some of the best matchups uh, coming up. And one that you wanted to talk about was the Pet Morcott Petrosian headliner, which is on July 12th. It's also the same card as the Janet Todd Kai King bout. Um, so what, what's your prediction for the fight? Why are you interested in this fight, Andrew? I've uh, been a fan of Petros in a long time. Just his style, you know, uh, technical, super high IQ, even if you don't understand the first couple times you watch his fights. But, you know, it was interesting to see that clash of styles with a pretty – traditional as traditional as it gets like muay thai fighter currently relevant to stadiums or at least the pechendi shows fight a kickboxer of that level right and then especially to see pech beat petrosian in that fashion you know which is do you think he won or not uh to me i thought pet morcott won according to the rules that he was given um, you know, and I thought he won clearly, you know, I understand when people are like, oh, he didn't win by kickboxing rules, but all the one officials gave him the win. I'm not a kickboxing judge or aficionado, so like, I'm not a great judge for it, but looking at the fight, I was like, okay, in the second and third round, Pat Morcott really turned it around utilizing his long knees and just walking through Pet, uh, Petrosian. 
Yeah, I'd say he threw Petrosian off his game and kind of made him look uncomfortable in the fight. You know, usually Petrosian, I know I wouldn't say it's damage. It was damage that, like, you know, he wasn't getting hurt, but he was getting stopped in his path a lot, like on his way to closing the distance, mm-hmm. closing the distance and stuff like that, and just throwing him off his game. You know, when usually Petrosian throws you off your game uh, with his timing, etc. So, you know, like I said, he wasn't like beating him up, but he was definitely outscoring him. Regardless of whatever rules said it was, I you know I'm not to, uh, to say that it's not to say that Petrosian got blown into the water, but I think that Petchmorakot did enough to win that fight. Being a Petrosian fan, like I wasn't, I didn't think it was a robbery by any means. Either way, it could have gone either way. It was a pretty close fight, really. You know, yeah, you could definitely see Petrosian's office game a little bit. Maybe it was because he was so tall. Uh, Petchmorakot was so tall, or he has a fight a traditional fighter trying to adapt to kickboxing rules in a long time when i think the last one probably was who was the last like top uh he fought a petrini guy before that right and did hand it beat him pretty handily yeah who did he fight a petrini guy i can't remember he fought joe nottawa and he demolished joe that was like it's pretty classic Petrosian style. You know, I think if Petrosian fights Joe again, it won't necessarily look the same, though. I don't either, but I think that Joe is more of a Larangey fighter, and like a, he's kind of like a, more of a striker, where Pet Morcott is obviously a clincher, clearly. I think one of the smart things that Pet Morcott did is like he was fighting at range at first, and then he realized this is not working. I have to rough rough up uh, Petrosian. And I think against smart fighters, you basically, you can't play a timing game. You can't try and outthink them. You have to make it like a dirty, dirty fight where they're, they can't think. And usually Petrosian could take advantage, full advantage of that and just make you look stupid. But, you know, Petrosian's all about timing and so are the ties. You know, when you spar, the t- when you like tech spar the tie, you really understand that it's all about timing, you know? So I think that threw Petrosian off as well, right? And like I said, maybe he's fought some, you know, higher-level ties in, the last, in his career, but not one who was, like, th- that this re- relevant to the stadium fights. Like, Petch Morikot fought in stadiums just before he signed to one, right? That He was exclusively fighting in stadiums, right? So that's a big... That's, a, that's one thing that one is doing that's really good is getting, you know, like Rod Tang was ranked... At both stadiums or just Roger? I'm I'm not sure to be honest, but you know Rob Tang is fighting at the stadiums in between his one championship fights. He's still super rele- relevant. Exactly. So I've never seen a promotion do that before, which is a big deal. So what do you think is going to happen in this rematch? I have no idea. I didn't really have an idea before. Like, how could you really, after the last fight, I mean, you know, Petrosian is going to study, have studied Petch Morikot and probably has some kind of game plan. But then, you know, Petch Morikot surprised a lot of people last time with actually being able to execute his game plan mm-hmm. to win. So who knows? But, you know, obviously both sides are, are super amped up about this fight and the stakes are higher just because of the public, you know, uh, backlash after the after the over, overturning decision, mm-hmm. which was kind of weird, which was kind of weird, you know? Yeah. There's always these random things that, like, uh, that ruin a good promotion, you know? And the promotion is seemingly perfect, and then there's these, 
it wasn't the weirdest thing ever, but it was to have a decision overturned is like, I don't know. I'm pretty sure that that's not looked upon well. Yeah. I mean, I feel generally it's unprecedented. Like most promotions don't change their decisions. There's been way worse robberies and let's, I know it's a different sport, but let's say UFC, there's been some terrible robberies that there was never even any idea of overturning the decision. So yeah. when decisions overturned, it's interesting to you know see the fallout afterwards. Yeah, for me, I I really don't know which way this rematch is going to go. Um, I could really see either guy taking it at this point. Uh, a big a big part of me wants Pet Morikot to win, though. Yeah, but that's more like the underdog story, right? Like, I guess you're not a big Petrosian fan, and you're. Yeah, I mean, I like Petrosian. I've you know I've always liked him, but I'm not like. He's he's the god of fucking yeah. striking, you know. <laughs> um, okay, well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Um, I really appreciate you taking your time out. Um, hopefully, I'll get to see you out here soon. You should be out here for the IFMAs, correct? Yeah, I'm planning on it. So, we'll, hopefully, I'll see you there. <laughs> okay, I'll see you soon, Andrew. Thanks, Matt. Talk to you soon. Just a side note for our pick a fight. We last episode with Tim Fisher, we talked about uh, Janet Todd versus Kai Ting Chuang. That bout will be this Friday on One Championship. Uh, I predict Janet Todd will win. Very high likelihood of her getting a knockout win. Uh, so we'll recap that fight in our next episode, which will hopefully come out in two weeks for the Patreon. Thank you so much to listening to I'm Fighting in Thailand. This has been episode five as part three of our four-part series on sponsorship. Again, that last episode with Tim Fisher is for Patreon members only. It's about developing a fight team and getting sponsored at a gym out here in Thailand. Definitely worth a listen. If you're interested in it, you can go ahead and subscribe to my Patreon, which is at www.patreon.com on Fighting in Thailand. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can follow me on Instagram, mattlucasbkk, or email me at a.mattlucas at gmail.com. Again, this has been I'm Fighting in Thailand best news and analysis covering the economics and infrastructure of Muay Thai. I'm Matt Lucas, journalist, commentator, and ex-Muay Thai fighter. Make stronger fighters, make stronger people.